Desi G Show. I'm sorry I didn't upload a podcast last week. Um, work got in the way and I was very tired and I just didn't have the energy. I'd done a plan um, of how I was going to do two episodes a week and put them up in consecutive weeks, consecutive Sundays, and then it all just went to pieces last week. Anyway, never mind. Moving on. This is an episode about being an only child. And I had already planned to do this episode, as I say, last week. And then interestingly, in yesterday's Guardian, so today's the 24th of February, and in yesterday's Guardian magazine, there is a whole piece about being an only child, which is really interesting because when I had actually, I did actually start to record the episode yesterday before I'd seen this piece in the Guardian, I thought about whether the same kind of stigma is attached to only children these days, whether, which I'll talk about a bit later, I I just didn't really know what the attitude to being an only child is these days. And, you know, how the parents are looked on and how the children are looked on and all of that. And then in this piece, it does touch on it, but it actually more touches on the choice of the mother who's writing the main piece Um, as to why she and her husband or partner decided just to have one child. But there is also a small sidebar piece from an only child herself who's 30. But I wanted to talk about my perspective because I'm in my 60s and I don't know whether only children was a thing or was was talked about as a thing when I was uh, born and when I was growing up. But I just thought I'd talk a bit about that and I'd be really interested to hear about your experiences if you are an only child. And I do think, just to kind of say at the outset, that I do think there are, that only children's experiences are sometimes mirrored by children or families where there's a big age gap between the first child and the second child or even the first child and, or maybe the last child, maybe if there's a big gap what I'm trying to say not very articulately is my experience as an only child probably isn't unique and I'm not suggesting it is I'm just really talking about my experience of what it was like as an only child and what I wished might have happened for me and I might have preferred not to be an only child and the pros and cons and that kind of thing so I'm just going to talk a bit about that so as I say I'm I'm an only child and there are The main reason for that is that my mother was pregnant with me when I was three and a half and then had an ectopic pregnancy. must have been pretty... uh, I don't really know anything about ectopic pregnancies, to be honest, but I think it happens very early on. It's identified very early on in the pregnancy and she was rushed to hospital, hemorrhaging, as I understand it, and her life was saved, um, but she couldn't have any more children. Now, I don't know whether there's... It's funny, I've only just started thinking about it when I was thinking about what I'm going to say in the podcast, that my mother was 31 when she had me, and I think in the 50s that was probably quite old, or considered quite old. And so, and the reason that she had me quite late on, I think, I'm pretty sure, is that, well, she had a career, she was an actress, and she... Her career was going quite well at that stage, I think. And she had been married twice before she had me. 
with my dad and she married him about a month before I was born and she was actually still married to husband number two when she got pregnant with me and the other thing to say is that she'd had I think two or three abortions I think three before she had me and I I mean that was before abortion was illegal uh, was legal so where she went and how they were done and all of that I really don't know but she did share that information with me when I was in my teens I was really really shocked really shocked and upset however that was her choice and I completely am pro-choice I've no problem with that but I think I was particularly upset because of her having to do it covertly having to have these abortions covertly but anyway I don't know whether that made her less able to conceive afterwards and I don't know when she had these abortions how young she was but she as I say was married to this second husband when she got pregnant with me so she'd met my dad and I assume they she parted from this other husband I don't know anyway that's the background so in 1954 I was born my parents had just got married in time because obviously then there would have been a a massive stigma about being out of, born out of wedlock although to be honest given that my parents were in the theatrical profession probably nowhere near as much but nevertheless we're talking about the mid 50s you know being born illegitimately wasn't a desired um a desired thing like i mean whether it's desired or not desired but being married was definitely what you were meant to do and living with someone who what you weren't married to was not really um, was frowned upon and certainly my grandmother and her and my step-grandfather wouldn't have liked it at all and I'm sure they did everything they could to to assist my mother in her divorce and then her subsequent marriage to my dad so that's the background and I mean, when I was very little, I obviously didn't notice whether my friends had siblings or not. But as I started to grow a bit older, and I think probably around the time of six or seven, I'm thinking, I would have noticed other families having more than one child in them. Uh, my very closest friend... So when I was, let's see, when I was seven, she would have been six and her brother would have just about been born. I think it would have been one, probably. I didn't know. I mean, we were just, we were very close and we were a bit like siblings and our mums had been to drama school together and had known each other since they were 17. And we spent a lot of time together when we were little and subsequently growing up. So I didn't really notice that she had a brother until much later. And even then, I don't know, I don't remember him being around all that much. But So I, I didn't have a sense of, of a lack of companionship and company until I think it was really when I, when my parents, or my dad, I remember, I think I was about seven or eight, when my dad told me that, no, maybe seven, when my dad first mentioned that he and my mother might split up and I was absolutely devastated. And of course, I didn't have anyone to talk to about it with. Um, I don't think I talked about it with my closest friend. But I think I did 
oh, I don't know if I talked about it with this other friend, but there was another friend I was very close to whose parents were also in the theatre. And they'd already split up. And I do remember her saying, saying how upset she was at the time or how sad she was or how difficult it was or something. And me thinking, and maybe that's what caused me to feel, partly to feel upset when I was seven and my father told me about it, that it might happen. So when it did actually happen, I was really devastated and actually ran away from home for a few hours to show my displeasure, if you want to call it that. So I think that was that was quite hard, not having anyone to share that experience with. But, um, you know, you get over it and you have to get on with it, don't you? So although it was really hard and my dad was absolutely devastated and there was a, you know, kind of toing and froing of a social worker got involved at one point because my mother had moved in this horrible guy she was having a thing with to live with us and all of that that all came a bit later but nevertheless it was all very difficult so maybe it would have been easier with a brother or sister I don't know anyway so my life growing up as, as a child was was as an only child living I mean a very privileged life in a fantastically huge flat um, just off the Bayswater Road which was you know I had my own bedroom I had my own living room I had my own bathroom but that kind of meant that my existence was really quite separate from my mum and this bloke who was living with us who I didn't really talk to much at all um so that sort of fostered this this slight sort of isolation or this feeling of isolation and not having siblings to share things with and then uh, the other thing I would do, so I, yeah, so I go to my father once a week. I mean, this is the experience of a lot of parents, uh, children whose parents have split up. I'm sure that um, they go to their other parent once a week if they live with one parent most of the time. They go to the other parent. I didn't stay with him because he was only you know half an hour away in the car or something. He was just in North London. But, you know, I would go there once a week and we would sit and watch tv most of the time and uh that was fine at least i spent time with him and occasionally he would take me out and stuff but mostly it was just hanging about in his apartment in his flat because he didn't have a lot of money so again that was a little bit lonely because you know he probably thought oh, what am i gonna do with this child actually to be fair i don't know why i didn't think about this but we did used to go out for lunch quite a bit because he he introduced me to prawn cocktail and then would kind of not force me but he would always have a lemon meringue pie for dessert which I didn't really like um but anyway and then we'd have steak and all of that and that was all great I mean you know talk about privilege it was it was amazing all that was amazing and then I'd go to occasionally go to plays with him musicals and things like that so that was all good but then the other thing that was I mean, again, kind of strange and probably a bit like Travels with My Aunt and some other novels of the period or, you know, earlier. I would spend every summer with my grandmother. Now, this is going to sound, and it was, it is meant to sound incredibly privileged. I would spend every summer holiday with her. And I had really long summer holidays because I went to a French school um, with her in the south of France, which, again, was amazing. I mean, it was, the weather was incredible. I would swim, I would, um, you know, get ta get taken to concerts. And I have to say, 
that was for me because I was not a classical music fan. I love the ballet, but classical music, concert music, no, that was just not for me. And I used to have to sit there and endure hours, it seemed like, of, you know, fantastic musicians playing amazing music. But for a child of 9, 10, 11, it just wasn't really my bag. But still, that was a small price to pay for spending the summer holidays in the sun. But it, again, it was a bit of a lonely existence. I mean, my grandmother was very cultured. She was very right wing. So, I, I mean, I, I lived with my mother most of the time, who was quite left wing. And then spending summers with my granny was quite right wing. Luckily, didn't influence me in that way at all. Her, her thoughts about things, not that I can actually remember any particular conversations about politics or anything like that. But the one thing I do remember is that she would never because I come from a Jewish family, although non-practicing, she would never buy anything German. I do remember her saying that very specifically, even though she spoke beautiful German and Italian and French. She was amazingly um, gifted in the languages department, as was my mum, but she wouldn't buy anything German. Anyway, I'm digressing, as I always do, I'm afraid. Um, so lots of holidays spent on my own with her, playing canasta and you know we did we did do some fun things and I love that she taught me to play lots of card games and I really enjoyed that but I suppose when I was around my friends who had siblings that's when I really felt that I was lacking in some way and really wished that I had siblings that I could share things with and I would love going to friends who had would invite me round maybe for for Sunday lunch or something we'd all sit round the table together actually interestingly my friend who who had a younger brother I used to love going to her house and sitting around the table even though she had a stepdad who she didn't particularly get on with and I didn't I was slightly suspicious of but I think there was something about just sitting round a table for a start a which I never did at home with my mum never um, because it would just be the two of us she was usually working in the evenings or you know eating with her bloke in, in the evenings so not eating with me so I just enjoyed that social interaction and eating around a table it was fantastic I loved it and I really missed that and so as a teenager it, it sort of manifested itself in spending a huge amount of time on my own because I had this sort of apartment within an apartment within an apartment uh, and I would make my own meals and I would sit and eat them and you know that led to my compulsive eating which I've talked about in another podcast so that wasn't terribly healthy and you know I didn't have anyone to share the what I then discovered was the domestic abuse going on uh, that my mother was being hit by this guy and then eventually he broke her nose so I had no one to share that with really in fact I'm not sure I even shared it with any of my friends and actually as I got older because I was so in, in introverted became very introverted I actually found it difficult to forge friendships with anybody new and actually in that article that I mentioned earlier the Guardian article the young woman who writes who's 30 she does quite rightly identify that friendships especially when you're younger can be quite transient so you may have friends you dip in and out of them as you do as children teenagers and perhaps at uni as well there's the one constant you have is your family I mean yes you might not get on with them all the time but they are always there and sometimes blood is thicker than water not always and I accept that but sometimes it, it can be so I don't think I had 
that many friends around that time that I could speak to or felt able to speak to them about what was going on in the family or at least what was going on with my mother and actually with my father as well in a way because at one point well for quite a long time actually in the 70s he had no money and at one point he was living above the Prince Charles Cinema in the West End in in a bare flat with virtually no furniture and just a tin of condensed milk in the fridge I mean that was pretty hard to to take to see as a teenager see your dad in that state really so it was quite difficult anyway let's fast forward a little bit and I'm now in my early 20s and I am working as a singer in sort of like a covers band really in a hotel and again I find myself very lonely because I am working nights and all my friends have normal jobs so they're working in the day I'm working at night I say all my friends again I never really I mean I had this one close friend who was a constant who is still a constant and a, a vital part of my life but you know you we dipped in and out a little bit of our friendship and she had priorities and I had priorities and she worked in the day and I worked at night and all of that. And so because I was lonely, I I was kind of a bit looking for Mr. Goodbar and girlfriends. I don't know whether any of you in your 60s or later or even earlier know or remember those films, but looking for Mr. Goodbar, I mean, it's quite a violent film, but the sort of the culture in it was, a, or this, the story that was about this young woman who's Diane Keaton, actually played by Diane Keaton, who went to bars looking for company. Um, I mean, she wasn't looking for one night stands, but that's kind of how it played out, I think. Um, and Girlfriends was also a bit like that. It was a great film, or at least at the time I, I could really identify with it. So, you know, I was a bit like that, let's put it that way. We won't. We don't have to go into detail, but it was it was difficult. It was difficult to maintain relationships. I suppose that's what I'm saying, really. Anyway, again, fast forward, got married, had kids, or got married twice, had kids, and settled down. And that's when I realised how important friendships were, and when I forged some really fantastic friendships that that um, that are still really important to me. And this was a time, I suppose, so having kids, meeting um, mothers at the, either the playgroup gates or the school gates, would, those friendships where our, friend, our kids would play together and we would spend time together and ultimately I had this group of friends It was a little bit like Cold Feet. I think that's why I love Cold Feet so much. I can really relate to it is that I had this group of friends and we used to go on holiday together so with three couples we'd go on holiday together at October half term we we just had so much fun together and those girlfriends as I say who still um who I'm still close to were really important to me and they were really important to me when my mum died because my mum died when I was 37 and very suddenly and that was so hard so hard and my friends were just amazing and so supportive and so helpful to me um, one of them actually lost her mum not that long after I lost mine again very suddenly and 
they were really helpful but because they they didn't really know my mum that well apart from one of them but the, the others didn't really know her they'd, they'd met her once or twice or a few times at parties and things kids parties but they didn't really know her and when it came to because her my mum's fourth husband died a few months after she did and he was so much younger but so there was a lot of clearing up and a lot of sorting out to do and I had to do that all on my own I really have anyone to help me in fact now when I think about it decluttering is such a big deal and I've tapped into that actually and it's been really helpful to me in the recent past but then it wasn't really discussed as a you know as a thing that needed doing or or as a difficulty and I found that really really hard on the plus side on the plus side I didn't have to refer to anyone or defer to anyone um, about what to get rid of and what to keep which was actually really really helpful because I can imagine when you're left things I mean everything was left to me and there was you know it was it was so much easier I didn't have to think about oh well who's going to have this painting or who's going to have that bit of furniture or who's going to have that ring it it was all easy because I could just take it and then decide what to do with it so that was really really helpful although I have to say my stepfather I'll never understand why he did this I, I, I can't really forgive him for this I can forgive him other things but I can't forgive him for this is he actually gave away some of my mother's rings they weren't valuable because she wasn't really a valuable jewellery person just like me I'm the same really I'm, I'm quite happy with costume jewellery but he gave away some of her rings to some of these women who he kind of thought were her friends I mean actually she didn't have that many friends either close friends but anyway so that was a bit of an odd one um but uh yeah so that made things easier that I didn't have to defer or refer to anybody and actually I carried that on um when my father needed to go into sheltered housing I had to find him somewhere very quickly and it was so much easier to well I had to encourage him to go into it but actually that was okay but I again didn't have to worry about asking anyone else if they were going to take him in or what they thought it was all pretty straightforward which was which was helpful so I think what I take from this is I mean obviously your upbringing shapes you and it's going to colour your your view of things now I still would have liked to have had a sibling I think or maybe more than one sibling I don't know I knew that I didn't want to have an only child so I had two children and I'm so glad I did and although they fought like cat and dog when they were younger they are close and they do get on and that's oh I feel a bit emotional now I think that's um a really fantastic thing and I'm so glad for them that they have that because I think I mean they both have friends and, and they both have good relationships with me and with their dad and that's great but the fact that they are siblings I think is really and they've got each other and they get on is really good even if they don't see a lot of each other but they do get on and I'm really pleased about that and I was really keen for that to happen um so I'm I'm really lucky um 
but I, I suppose yeah one of the things I was going to say I forgot about this was that because my mother was a, a, an actress she she pops up on the telly now and again and even when she doesn't pop up on the telly or in a film or something people that she acted with pop up all the time as they inevitably would in an old film or even in a you know perhaps a more recent film and I have no one to say oh you know mum um my mum was in acted with him or and the one thing that I would really wish to have a sibling to share with is when my mum pops up on the telly or someone she acted with pops up on the telly that's I really miss that because I bore the hell out of my husband and kids especially my husband because my kids have grown up and don't live with me now um, by saying oh and mum acted with him or mum starred in a thing with him or or he played mum's something or other when she was Queen Doodah and whatever it is, you know. I mean, and I have no one else to share that with. And they think, oh, God, here she goes again. I can't watch anything without, you know, her pointing somebody out. But unfortunately, that's just, you know, that's, uh, they have to live with that. Um, and I'm, I am lucky that I know that somewhere in the world, because sometimes, well, the kids and I all get little tiny bits of royalties now and again and we get sort of £2.24 from the episode of Home to Roost that my mother was in and sold to Belarus or something like that um, so that's really you know that's that's just uh, something one has to deal with which is fine and I'm you know I'm really delighted that um, that she's able to be listened to and watched around the world still which is great anyway I'm slightly going off tack now I'm not talking about being an only child so I suppose what I'm saying is I I think what being an only child has given me is a massive self-reliance. I know that my mother was quite keen for me to be self-reliant and um, able to manage on my own from quite an early age I mean it took some persuading I remember for her to let me go to school on my own but once I was able to do that I used to do everything for myself in fact she, she bought me a tease made I'll never forget this it was hilarious she bought me this tease made so I could get myself up in the morning make you know have my tea actually what used to happen was the blooming thing would start to prepare like 10 minutes before the actual alarm went off and the tea was ready but anyway never mind that was just an example of you know the fact that I was had to look after myself in the mornings which was fine and that was okay and I was very keen to pass that on to my kids which I did you know get them to go to the shop as soon as they you know, were able old enough to do that and all that kind of thing so I think that's been really good and I've had to draw my own resources and I, I, I haven't had anybody to rely on when I when I felt you know when things were difficult but that's okay I'm I'm pleased about that and I know that I will always be able to manage on my own if I had to I mean I'm really lucky I've had an amazingly privileged lifestyle I'm definitely not minimizing that but there have been some tragedies and some sadness and some difficulties in my life but because I've perhaps because I've had to manage difficult situations when I was younger that's given me the resilience yeah that's the word resilience that's a real buzzword isn't it in the employment world at the moment but it's given me resilience and I think that's a really good thing anyway I would love to hear what your experiences are 
of either being an only child or feeling like an only child are you the youngest in your family is there a big gap between you and your other siblings or were you the oldest and then a big gap before the next lot came along let me know I would be really interested to know Um, and thank you so much for listening so if you want to find me on social media I'm on um, at uh, Desi Wezzy Doodah without an H on Twitter with an H on Instagram and you can contact me that way I will put the link to the Guardian piece in the show notes Um, but please do um, subscribe if you've enjoyed this podcast and I'm going to be a lot more regular this is there was a little gap last week but I'm going to try and um, upload an episode every Sunday so that we start to get some continuity and I start to get an impression of whether anybody's going to listen to this and like it or hate it and whether I'm going to keep enjoying doing it because at the moment I'm loving it I must say that's partly because I just like talking and I do spend a lot of time during the working week on my own in an office so it's really great to be able to talk about stuff and you know I can't pretend I don't like talking about myself otherwise I wouldn't be doing the podcast so I hope you've enjoyed it please subscribe if you would like to and um, I'll see you next week thanks for listening